Welcome back to Gamers Talk. That's Gamers with a Z. Um, I am your host, Gamer M, with my co-host, Gamer G. And we are back to discuss yet another Borderlands title. Um, one that we don't quite have the experience with like we do the others, but yet we still played. And still have, you know, decent experience with. Um, so, I guess I'll go ahead and start. Borderlands the pre-sequel, styled as Borderlands the pre-sequel. I don't know why I read that part. Um, is an action, role-playing, first-person shooter video game developed by 2K Australia, with assistance from Gearbox Software, and published by 2K Games. It is the third game in the Borderlands series. It is set after 2009's Borderlands and before 2012's Borderlands 2. It was released for Microsoft Windows, OS, X, Linux, PlayStation 3, and Xbox 360 on October 14th of 2014. Uh, it was released, released for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One as part of the Borderlands The Handsome Collection on the 24th of March of 2015. The storyline of the pre-sequel focuses on Jack, an employee of the Hyperion Corporation. After the company's Helios space station is captured by a military unit known as the Lost Legion, he leads a group of four Vault Hunters, all of whom were non-playable characters and bosses in previous Borderlands games, on an expedition to regain control of Helios, defeat the Lost Legion, and find the hidden vault on Pandora's moon Elvis. Uh, the game expands upon the engine and gameplay of Borderlands 2 and introduced gameplay mechanics including low-gravity environments, freeze weapons, and oxygen tanks, which are used to navigate and perform ground-slamming attacks. Uh, the pre-sequel received positive reviews being praised for its new gameplay and character classes, but was criticized for its confusing level design and not providing enough significant significant deviations from the core mechanics and gameplay of Borderlands 2. Gameplay in the pre-sequel is similar to Borderlands 2, but with the addition of new mechanics. Uh, two varieties of items have been added, including laser guns and items possessing a cryogenic elemental effect, which can be used to slow down and freeze enemies. Enemies that are frozen take increased damage from explosive, melee, or critical attacks and are smashed into pieces when killed. The game features low-gravity environments causing players to jump higher but slower, and items such as loot and dead bodies to float away. O2 kits are added to supply air while in space. Oxygen supplies can be replenished using generators, vents, and through oxygen tank item drops by enemies. The kits can be used like a jetpack to perform double jumps, hovering, and ground-slamming attacks. As with other items, different types of O2 kits can provide stat bonuses and affect how ground slams deal damage. A new grinder machine allows players to deposit combinations of existing weapons to receive one of higher quality. Vehicles were introduced, including a moon buggy and the Stingray, a type of hover bike. As with Borderlands 2, completing the main campaign with a character unlocks true Vault Hunter mode, a second playthrough with higher, that is higher difficulty, while beating the mode and reaching level 50 unlocks the third playthrough, Ultimate Vault Hunter mode. This sequel features four playable characters, each with their own class and abilities, 
all four pre-sequel protagonists were non-playable characters and bosses from previous games, like we said. We have Athena the Gladiator, which is a rogue assassin from the Atlas Corporation, introduced in the Borderlands DLC uh, campaign, The Secrets Armory of General Knox. But she, she's a lot of fun. You know, uh, the, honestly, she reminds me a lot of Captain America. That's all I'll put with that. Then we have uh, Nisha, the Lodbringer, which first appeared in Borderlands 2 as Handsome Jack's girlfriend and the Sheriff of Lunchwood. Her, she's a cowgirl. She loves firing guns. And she's a sh dead shot with him, too. Um, then you got Cloudtrap, the Cloud Favorite, which is also the Frag Trap, which is the last remaining robot of its kind in Borderlands 2. His skill, uh, Welcome to XEX, generates random effects on the current situation. He is just a wild card with his abilities. Wilhelm the Enforcer is a mercenary who becomes increasingly uh, brain fart, um, augmented with technology and weaponry over the course of the game, transforming him into Handsome Jack's uh, cyborg minion who is fought in Borderlands 2. Like it said, throughout the game, you just watch this man transform into him, the monster you see. And later, there was also two additional characters as downloadable content. The first being Jack, the doppelganger, which is called Timothy Lar Lar Larson, working as a body double of Jack, who can summon clones of himself in battle, which is a lot of fun, and he is free OP. And then the second is, uh, how do you pronounce her name, bud? Aurelia. Aurelia, the Baroness, which is sister to Sir Hamelock, who uses experimental cross shards to deal elemental damage to enemies. And man, she is also OP. They are a lot of fun to play as. Multiple characters from the previous titles and DLCs are featured and appear in cameos like Hat and Jack, Mo Mad Moxie, General Knox, Angel, Torg, Brick, Mortai, and all those good fellows the pre-sequel begins on sanctuary after the events of borderlands 2 and soon after episode 3 of tales from the borderlands where lilith brick and mordecai interrogate captured athena now we will be going over tales from the borderlands next episode Athena recounts her story via flashback, starting after the death of General Knox when she received an offer to find a vault on Pandora's moon, Elphus, from a Hyperion programmer named Jack. 
She joins fellow Vault Hunters Claptrap, Misha, Wilhelm, Timothy, and Aurelia on a spaceship headed for the Hyperion moon base Helios. On the way, they are ambushed by the Lost Legion, an army of former Dull Marines led by Tungstina Zarpadin, and crash land onto Helios. After meeting up with Jack, they try to use Helios' def Helios's defense system against the Lost Legion, but there is jamming signal coming from Elpis. They attempt to escape, but are stopped by Zarpadin and a mysterious alien. So Jack stays behind and sends the Vault Hunters to Elpis via a moon moonshot rocket. On Elpis, the Vault Hunters are guided by the junk dealer Janie Springs to the spaceport town Concordia. There, they request help from Jack's ex-girlfriend, Moxie, to disable the jamming signal. They discover that the signal was put up by the Merif, a former subordinate of Jack who is in charge of Concordia. Meanwhile, Zarpadin uses Helios' primary weapon, the Eye of Helios, to fire upon Elpis, intending to destroy it to stop Jack from opening the vault. Jack kills the Merif, then decides to build a robot army to retake Helios. The team infiltrates a Lost Legion base run by two Daw officers, the Bosun and the Skipper, in search of a military artificial intelligence. After defeating the Bosun, the Skipper, who renames herself Felicity, is revealed to be the AI they seek. The Vault Hunters travel to a robot production facility where Jack enlists Gladstone, a Hyperion scientist, to build his army. Gladstone suggests using his prototype robot, the Constructor, which can build an infinite number of robots. Felicity agrees to become the AI for the Constructor, but hesitates upon witnessing the violence she has to go through. She is forced into the Constructor, but takes control of it and battles the Vault Hunters. Felicity is defeated, and her personality is deleted from the Constructor. With his robot army, Jack and the Vault Hunters travel to Helios with the aid of Moxie and former Vault Hunters Roland and Lilith. On Helios, Jack kills Gladstone and his team of scientists, suspecting one of them to be a Lost Legion spy. The Vault Hunters defeat Zarpadin and pr proceed to reboot the Eye of Helios, which is revealed to be the Eye of the Destroyer from the first game, turned into a weapon by Jack. Moxie, Roland, and Lilith betray Jack and destroy the Eye to prevent him from gaining its power. Seeking revenge, Jack and the Vault Hunters, Vault Hunters travel back to Elpis, where they find its vault already opened. The battle, they battle the vault's alien forces and defeat its guardian, the Empyrean Sentinel. The rest of it I will leave for you guys to figure out as you go along in the game. I do not want to reveal the whole story to you, for that wouldn't be fair to you. There'd be no point in you really playing it. Alright, are we on the voyage now? Yep, Claptastic Voyage. Oh. Alright, the Claptastic Voyage. Um, as on a continuation, Hunter Hunter's out to take over. He, um, and they go into, well, Claptrap's mind. As crazy as that is, and it's a wild story there, um, looking for something called the H-Source, containing a bunch of secrets. However, it's hit, once again, hidden inside Claptrap's head by a CEO, Cassidor. Uh, now, going through, you meet all types of characters, including a shady guy named Shadow Trap. He helps you find it. And, well, he's shady, so you'll have to see what he does. Continue on.
Borderlands 2, developed by Gearbox Software, was released in late 2012, was one of the most successful video games in 2K's history. Speaking in February 2013, Gearbox CEO Randy Pitchford stated that there were no plans for a third installment in the franchise as the company believed that a sequel to Borderlands 2 would have to be massive, but that when you think of what Borderlands 3 should be, no, we don't know what that is yet. We can imagine what it must achieve, but we don't know what it is yet. The company also cited a desire to focus its attention onto new games for next-gen consoles, such as Brother in Arms, Furious 4, Homeworld Shipbreakers, a new game in the Homeworld franchise which Gearbox had recently acquired in THQ's bankruptcy auction, and new properties such as Battleborn. Despite this, the company still believed that they had not yet met the demands of fans, or even its own staff, in regards to the franchise, even with the overall success of Borderlands 2 and large amount of downloadable content that had been released, prompting the creation of spin-offs such as A Tale from the Borderlands, which, again, we will discuss next episode, an episodic adventure game being developed by Telltale Games and a port of Borderlands 2 for PlayStation Vita. A few months after the release of Borderlands 2, and shortly after it had concluded its contributions to Bioshock Infinite, Gearbox began working with 2K Australia to develop a prequel to the game which would take place directly after the events of the original. The decision to make the game a prequel to Borderlands 2 was centered around a desire to use the Hyperion Moon Base, a location alluded to and visible in Borderlands 2, as a playable location. The development team felt that going to the Moon Base in a sequel to Borderlands 2 would be too boring for players since the relevant conflict was already resolved. And because if we're going to the moon base anyway, what if we try something completely different that people aren't expecting? Pitchford noted that this setting would allow the game to address plot enemies and events alluded to in the first two games that were not yet completely addressed. On the possibility that the game could introduce holes in the continuity of the franchise, he joked that the franchise will already contain many plot holes to begin with. He suggested that working on the pre-sequel could be a breakout role for 2K Australia, similar to Gearbox's own Half-Life Opposing Force. As for the size of the game, Pitchford stated that pre-sequel's playable world would be in between the size of the original and Borderlands 2. 2K Australia performed the majority of development on the pre-sequel, but worked in collaboration with Gearbox on certain aspects of the game. The studio also provided its writing staff, including Anthony Birch, lead writer of Borderlands 2 as a complement to 2K Australia's own writers. The engine of Borderlands 2 was used as a starting point, allowing the 2K Australian team to quickly prototype and implement features on top of the existing functionality already provided by Borderlands 2. Most of the new mechanics in the game, such as ice weaponry, were conceived by the 2K Australia team. Gearbox's developers had shown concerns that freezing weapons were illogical in comparison to other elemental weapon types, such as indiciary, incendiary, sorry, and acid. But Pitchford excused their incursion in the pre-sequel because cryogenic technology was more natural in the space-oriented setting of the game. The four playable characters have an increased amount of dialogue in comparison to their equivalents in previous installments. NPC dialogue can change depending on the characters present. Developers also felt that the pre-sequel would have more diverse humor than previous installments due to the makeup of its writing staff, and a decision to portray the Moon's inhabitants as being Australians themselves, allowing for references to Australian comedy and culture, including missions referencing cricket, 
the folk song Waltzing Matilda and a sh- talking shotgun based on the bogan stereotype. Bruce Spence, a New Zealand actor known for his role as the gyro captain in Mad Max 2, second film in the Mad Max franchise that was cited as an influence on the setting of Borderlands as a whole, is among the game's voice actors, voicing a gyrocopter pilot in reference to his role from the film. The pre-sequel would be the final video game developed by 2K Australia as the studio was shut down on April 16th of 2015. Borderlands the pre-sequel was released in North America on October 14th of 2014. Initially, the game was not released on 8th generation consoles such as PlayStation 4 or Xbox One, as porting the pre-sequel to next generation consoles would require rebuilding the engine, and thus defeating the purpose of retaining the engine used by Borderlands 2, developers instead targeted the game to the same console platforms that previous installments in the Borderlands franchise were released for. In July of 2014, 2K Australia's head Tony Lawrence stated that there was a possibility that the pre-sequel could be ported to the next-generation consoles gauged by fan-demand sales. In August of 2014, financial statements by Take-Two Interactive disclosed that a Linux port of the game was also in development. These details were confirmed by 2K in a statement to gaming news site IGN.com. The port, which was accompanied by a port of Borderlands 2 released in late September 2014, was released for Linux through Steam. As part of pre-release promotional efforts for the game, Gearbox began releasing pre-sequel-inspired character skins for Borderlands 2 in July of 2014. And at San Diego Comic-Con, Gearbox partnered with The Nerdist to set up a Borderlands-themed laser tag field at Petco Park during the convention. Wow, wish I'd have gone to that. Too bad it was all the way to San Diego. No way they're going to make a trip to California. On the 18th of September in 2014, an extended 10-minute trailer featuring Sir Hammerlock and Mr. Torg was released. On the 30th of September 2014, Pitchford confirmed the game had gone gold. On January 20th of 2015, 2K announced that it would release a compilation of Borderlands 2 and the pre-sequel, Borderlands The Handsome Collection, for PS4 and Xbox One on twenty on the 24th of March of 2015. It includes both games and all their respective DLC on the 26th of March of 2020. Oops. Yeah, on the 26th of March 2020, 2K announced that both games as well as the original Borderlands game would be released for Nintendo Switch as part of the Borderlands Legendary Collection on the 29th of May in 2020. There is more downloadable content outside of Claptastic Voyage. Gamer G, you want to take over? You want me to continue on? Well, the fourth actual DLC was um, the Holodome Onslaught, which was released December 14th, 2014. It includes missions in the uh, Challenge Arena, which features Athena's retelling of a shorter version of the game's uh, story to 
the Borderlands 2 characters of Axton and Gage. <clears throat> the Onslaught DLC was received poorly by the player, player base on release. The Thord play, um, playthrough Ultimate Wall Hunter mode raised the kill to level to 60 and included additional missions that tied to Handsome Jack's presence in Tales from the Borderlands, which we'll talk about next time. And then, um, the Dom, um, Handsome Jack, uh, maybe I can talk. Jack the Doppelganger was released um, November 11th, 2014. And then, uh, Ari I can't, why can't I pass? Aurelia was released um, January 27th, 2015. I, yeah, 2015. And then, Class Pack, um, the second DLC, The Voyage. And the Ultimate Ball Hunter uh, Upgrade Pack 2 was released March 24th, 2015. And on March 28th, 2019, Gearbox announced that 2K support. 4K. Oh, 4K. 4K support for PC and the Handsome Jack ports on PlayStation 4 Pro and Xbox One X would release on April 4th, 2019. Can't really, uh... I mean, even the original ones were better than 2K graphics. So, I mean, for them to add 2K support mate, would make no sense. <laughs> yeah, brain fart, brain fart. Yeah, it happens to the best of us, man. But that's why we're here. I mean, not really, right. but I, figure of speech. Um, the pre-sequel reception. Pre-sequel received positive reviews from critics. Aggregating review website Metacritic give, gave the PS3 version 77 out of 100 based on 24 reviews. Microsoft Windows version 75 out of 100 based on 55 reviews, and the 360 version 74 out of 100 based on 16 reviews. Daniel Bloodworth from Game Trailers gave the game an 8.4 out of 10. He praised the characters and the new gameplay mechanics introduced in the pre-sequel. He ended the review by saying that new playable characters are worth exploring and the tweaks to the formula have an impact across the entire breadth of the game. David Roberts from Game Radar gave the game an 8 out of 10, praising its diverse character classes, hilarious writing, and the core combat, which he stated has maintained the series' weird, satisfying mix of anarchic tactical gun gunplay and compulsive RPG overtones. However, he advised the weak story as well as non-drastic changes when compared with Borderlands 2. He described the general experience as a hilarious fan-focused continuation of the series' core values, but lacking any true evolution which made it a fun diversion rather than a meaningful new chapter. So, I'm just going to go ahead, um, I'm not going to read much of the rest of the like full detail reviews. I will go ahead and discuss 
or just list off all the reviews that everybody had. Um, I already gave you guys the Metacritic reviews. Um, I gave the game trailers and the game's radar reviews. Um, the Destructoid review was a 6 out of 10. The Eurogamer review was a 7 out of 10. The Game Informer review was a 7.5 out of 10. The skip those. The Hardcore Gamer review was a 2.5 out of 5. The IGN review was an 8 out of 10. The Joystick review was 3.5 out of 5 stars. The OXM review was 8 out of 10. The PC Gamer review was 77 out of 100. The Polygon review was a 7 out of 10. And the review from The Escapist was 4 out of 5 stars. So you have to notice that there are pretty decently mixed reviews. Now, there are no bad reviews. But some of the reviews are kind of on the lower side. Now, from my personal experience, from what I've heard from everybody, this isn't like my personal review on it or anything, but this is what I've heard from other people, other gamers, personal people that I know. Um, a lot of people really didn't like this addition to the Borderlands series. Um, they thought it was, some of them thought it was okay, some of them really didn't like it. Overall, they preferred all of the other Borderlands games over this one. And I think the biggest reason was because of the story, which, as I pointed out in these reviews here, that the story really does make a difference in these reviews, and it's why these reviews aren't higher. The gameplay mechanics, all the gameplay add-ons and stuff like that were great, absolutely wonderful. Um, but the story just was not, it wasn't the, you know, constant development like you saw in Borderlands 2. It wasn't the uh, the the groundbreaking story, you know, kept you on the edge of your seat, you were excited, you wanted to play more. Uh, it was more of like, ah, eh, the story's okay, you know, but the gameplay is what really keeps me in it. Um, so, I mean, I I see where they're, where they're coming from with some of these lower reviews, but uh, how about our reviews? Gamer G, what would you review just without the DLCs or the extra playable characters? What would you review just the main game? Just the main game? Um, well, I'd say... I, I'd, I'd give it like a, you know, a, a 7.2 out of a 10. I mean, I I actually enjoyed it a lot. A lot. I mean, it was a game that took me by a complete surprise, considering I didn't even know it was coming out at the time. Um, so it was really on the down low. But you know, it was a it was a great game. It was great seeing getting the backstory of my favorite character of the whole Borderlands series, which would be Hazard Jack. It was nice to see Athena again. Nice to see Wilhelm, uh, Nisha, and also the robot you can never get rid of, Claptrap. Overall, I'd say at 7.2. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Okay. Uh, so what are your thoughts on the extra playable characters? Like the DLC characters? Well, um, honestly... They were kind of, um, 
they kind of made the game a tad bit too easy, in my opinion. Like, um, honestly, uh, Jack Doppelganger kind of hit, honestly, he reminded me a lot of Wilhelm in a way. Um, because he just summons extra people. Nothing too crazy. I will admit, um, the the Baroness, she she surprised me, and going through a whole tree, it's it's kind of fun when you're playing with another person, um, and you realize uh, who she is. But uh, I think they made the game a little bit too easy. They were they were fun to play with, um, but a tad bit too easy in my opinion. Okay, um, so. Next up, uh, what was your thought on, let's see, the uh, Holodome Onslaught? What, what was your, like, how did you, how did you feel about that one? Well, I mean, if you're someone that loves uh, repetitiveness, doing the same old thing over and over again in an arena, I, I'd say it's a thoroughly good time, but, uh, I mean, you can easily get overwhelmed in it if you're by yourself or even with, like, two people. You can just even easily get overwhelmed because the enemy is just, there's a lot. But, once again, it's just an arena. It ain't nothing special. It was fun, but it ain't, it ain't nothing special compared to some other DLC arenas like uh, Borderlands' uh, uh, Underdome. That... Well. It does say that the Holodrome, or the Holodome Onslaught DLC was received poorly by the player base on release. Um, but it also did include the Ultimate Vault Hunter mode and raise the level cap to level 60. And includes an additional mission that ties into Handsome Jack's presence in Tales from the Borderlands. So, it added a few things that were, you know... That were necessary for the game to continue. What about uh, what did you think about a uh, Coptastic Voyage? Oh, I'll be honest with you, man. I love that, man. I you ask any like Borderlands person, play por, yeah, any person that plays Borderlands, you ask them who the most annoying. You'll easily get one of three people and claptrap will most likely be everyone's least annoying i mean most annoying going into his head it honestly was like a space it was it was like uh like the uh claptrap revolution dlc that took you out in space N low gravity ice weapons it, it was it was fun and i will admit Sure, to saw some things happen. Saw some things coming in the game that I didn't see coming, but I I enjoyed it. Okay. Um. So. Finally, and most important, what is your review of the game entirely? I gave it like a you know seven point eight. Um. 
I don't think the DLCs honestly added too much. As much as I do love the Voyage, which I'd give that like a solid like eight out of ten. Um, and the uh, the Hollow Dome probably like a, a six out of ten. Um, but it was a the whole game entirely. The backstory on certain characters. It was a good time. But something we haven't talked about is your opinion on this stuff, man. Well, I figured we'd get your opinion first, and then we'd jump down to mine, and then we would go over if we recommend or not. Um, so, my opinion on the base game uh, alone, um, I mean, the gameplay mechanics they added were pretty decent. Um, I did actually like the incorporation of the O2 helmets, um, and the, the slam and all that stuff, you know, um... I love being able to drive around on the moon and all that. So, I mean, I definitely added some more gameplay aspects that I really enjoyed. But, like everybody else, I wasn't a huge fan of the story. That's why I don't really go over and play this one over and over. Um, I mean, I, I sometimes I forget <laughs> that the story... I mean, it's not a bad story. It's just when it gets to a certain point, it gets boring. It just it doesn't it doesn't give enough you know good twists and turns to keep me involved in it like Borderlands Two did. Borderlands Two story was phenomenal. I mean there was there was nothing I couldn't say anything bad about that story, but this story yeah it just there are points of it that were just you know pretty boring. You know some no, of the, some of the bosses were kind of and you know I mean I just you know I, I would honestly rate. Um, this the main campaign the main game of this one probably mm, somewhere between like a seven to a seven point three out of ten um kind of aiming more towards the seven uh the only reason i can't really decide on a specific number with this one is simply just because i mean like i said the gameplay was great i loved especially like uh, i loved playing as claptrap because I just, I felt like, you know, like that randomness is what kept me going. I was like, hmm, I wonder what's going to happen next. So, I mean, I, I loved playing as Claptrap and his character. Um, I also enjoyed playing as Wilhelm. That was a really good character, too. Um, but, again, you know, the 7.0 is like the story, you know. Again, I'm not saying it was a bad story. There just weren't as many, you know, pivotal turns and, and hits like there were in Borderlands 2. My honest opinion on the two playable released playable characters for the DLC, I really enjoyed Handsome Jack playing as his doppelganger. And I, I the, just the abilities, you know, uh, one of the abilities is hilar hilarious. You know, and it, it does nothing to help your character. And I will allow the players to figure that one out because I think they'll just find it. They'll, they'll just find it funny. The fact that they wasted, you know, a skill point on it. Um, but just that, but along with like, you know, how powerful it could be. I mean, it, it, there were certain points where it made the game better. Yes, uh, playing as a doppelganger makes the game a little easier because of how powerful it can be. But it also, at certain points, makes it a lot better. 
Um, it makes it, you know, it definitely helps in, you know, like the holodome onslaught. Um, so like taking Handsome Jack to the holodome onslaught. If you have, you know, two other players with you, you summon your, uh, summon your doppelganger, you know, or I guess, I mean, you summon your like multiple clones. Um, I mean, it, it helps a lot. Um, which I guess I just said what his skill was, but I won't really delve too deep into, like, what exactly his skills increased to. Um, next, my review, uh, I guess, uh, Aurelia. I only played as Aurelia once, got to level 12, and then stopped playing the pre-sequel for a while. So I don't really know a whole lot about Aurelia's abilities and whatnot. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I thought the abilities that I got so far with the amount of levels I got, I mean, they were good, they were overpowered, but I felt like Aurelia was definitely more of a character you would play with other people rather than by herself. I felt like by herself she was okay, but with other people she was a lot better. Um, sort of like a, like playing a, a siren in Borderlands 2. I felt like a siren was definitely more of like a you play with other people type of character. Just because of how many like support abilities that she had. I feel like Aurelia was, you know, very similar. But, I mean, yeah. Like you said, I mean, she was overpowered. You know, um, which, I mean, sometimes could be fun. Sometimes could be boring. Um, I would definitely... I would rate the doppelganger um, a solid eight eight and a half out of ten, and then I would rate Aurelia probably an eight out of ten. And again, my rating of Aurelia really shouldn't mean too much because I didn't get to play her all that much. Um, the first DLC campaign, the Hollow Dome onslaught. You know, I'm just not a fan of, like, the arena stuff. And, I mean, that's, I mean, it's really any arena game I'm just not a huge fan of. Anything from, you know, like, Mortal Kombat to this, I mean, it's, it's just repetitive. Over and over and over, you're doing the same thing over and over and over and over again. You know, and I know there's a lot of people out there that are going to disagree with me because they like Mortal Kombat and they like Injustice and they like all those types of games, but I'm just not a big fan of them, you know? And I mean, I, I guess most of it is just because, I mean, I I like to be able to move around a little more, which I guess Hollow Dome, it's not like those, you know, um, but it's still just super repetitive and you're just stuck in an arena and you're fighting the same enemies over. Really, I think maybe it's just the repetitiveness that I really just don't like. You know, so I mean, I, I'd give the Holodome maybe a 5.5 out of 10. Fantastic Voyage, however, that was a fun campaign. I enjoyed looking inside of Claptrap's head and, you know, seeing what was in his mind. Um, I really enjoyed uh, the sudden, um, like, the, the, the turnaround, the whole, like, you know, like, gut punch of Shadow Trap. Like, I love Shadow Trap. 
you know, he was he was he was great. You know, he was he was funny. He was, you know, he he was similar to Claptrap, except you know, Shadow Trap. And I, I really I really enjoyed his character. And then he turns on you, and he releases, and you have to go get him. Um, I don't really remember a whole lot else. I haven't played Quick Sequel in a little bit, at least not the whole game. But I remember Claptrap's voice being a lot of fun. I remember really enjoying the fact that there was another level cap. Um, I would rate Claptrap's voyage probably an eight and eight and a half out of ten. Um, there were some minor tweaks they could have done, maybe a little more they could have added, um, but overall it was pretty decent. And then my overall review of the game, 7, 7.5 out of 10 of the whole Borderlands Quick Sequel game. There was a lot that could have been. A lot that they really kind of missed out on. Not really gameplay-wise, more story-wise, as I've gone over multiple times. I've beaten a dead horse at this point. Um, I would have liked to see more in the story. I feel like the story was actually pretty short compared to what it feel could have been. I know they only had like a certain amount of time to get this out, you know, and it was simply just to meet fan demand for another Borderlands game, and they weren't ready to develop Borderlands Three yet. I understand that, you know, and I mean, I'm not going to go in and say, well, they could have, you know, they could have done a lot better job because, I mean, really, they, they couldn't have, you know. I mean, they, they did the best they could, you know, and I've always enjoyed 2K. You know, 2K games have always been pretty good. I mean, the Bioshock series alone was good. Um, but I just felt like there was just some missing potential, you know, and then with, you know, like the... With the Holodome DLC, and there was more they could have done with that, you know, but I, again, I understand, you know, they had limited time, a limited market, it was a little difficult for them to be able to develop any more than they did, and they actually did a pretty good job of what they had, but yeah, I'd probably give the game overall about a 7.5 out of 10. Gamer G, would you recommend? I mean, I would definitely definitely recommend playing if you play Borderlands 2 and you just want to learn more about how it got to where it was. But overall, I definitely would recommend. Um, okay. Me, personally, I would not recommend it as playing it standalone. I would recommend playing Borderlands... Borderlands 2, and then this. I would definitely recommend it if you're wanting to play the series. It's not something you should skip out on. The story does add to the overall lore of Borderlands. Don't get me wrong there. But pre-sequel by itself. If you were to play pre-sequel and had never played any other Borderlands games, you would it would give you the wrong impression of the Borderlands title. And again, I'm not saying that it was a bad story or a bad game at all. I liked the game, you know? I, I mean, I, I, I need to go back and play it at some point, too. 
I honestly need to go through it and go solo so I can focus. But, um... I definitely would recommend that you play the other Borderlands games first. Especially because, if, especially, as long as you play the first Borderlands first, it'll show you, like, it'll tell you, like, what's going on, um, and whatnot. Because you'll miss a lot of story, and you won't understand very much if you just play Borderlands the pre-sequel and none of the others. So, to all of our listeners out there, I would recommend, first of all, go back and listen to our previous episodes on Borderlands and Borderlands 2. And second of all, I would recommend playing those two in order before playing this one. But my recommendation? Yeah, I'd, I'd recommend it. Gamer G, do you have anything else to add? No, I think we uh, went over I think we went over everything that uh, we could go over without ruining the game. Good, good. Um, we... Just for our listeners out there, we left out a lot of the story because we want you guys to figure that out on your own because part of the experience is experiencing it for yourself. We don't want to ruin or reveal anything for you. But continuation on from that, next week we will, we will be reviewing Tales from the Borderlands. Had a moment there. Got a freeze. Um, we will re- be reviewing Tales from Borderlands next week or next episode. We're hoping that it's next week, but next episode for sure will be Tales, which would be the next in the series that you would play after this. Or technically, whatever, discuss it later. But, um,. That is our review of Borderlands, the pre-sequel. Uh, if you guys liked it, um, please share with your friends. Uh, get us more subscribers. Get us those sponsors, man. We need those sponsors really bad. You know, it help us out a lot. Um, but anyways, uh, for all of our listeners out there, thank you for taking the time to listen. Um, and we will see you all, or we will talk to you all next time. This is Gamer M signing off.